The goal, explain the 1990s in exactly 60 songs. The result, we did it. I'm Rob Arvilla. I host 60 songs that explain the 90s, which has indeed covered 60 fantastic songs thus far from Tupac to Radiohead to TLC. So let's do 30 more. Let's do 90 songs. No, we're not changing the name. More rad songs, more special guests, more astute critical analysis, more loopy nostalgic exuberance. That's 60 songs that explain the 90s every Wednesday only on Spotify. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a very delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. This podcast today is an interview with Lucas Mann, the general partner for Acre, uh, a venture capital shop. And you may listen to this and be like, oh, why am I listening to this? What the fuck? Uh, <laughs> part of it is, it's my podcast. And in some way, this is part, part press release that I'm joining the team as a partner for their new fund. And we're going to go into discussion as to why and, and why I chose Acre. And this doesn't take away from all the projects we're doing on media. This doesn't take away from all the stuff we're doing with the team at Momofuku. This is stuff that I'm doing anyway, really. And I've been waiting for a long time to do this. I just didn't know when or how, and I didn't know if we were going to do it by myself. And I hope down the road that we're going to be have the ability to invest in people that haven't had the opportunity to get the investment that they wanted. That's ultimately my end goal is to be able to use our platform to accelerate that concurrently with Acre and with the investment thesis of what Acre is. I think it really coincides with a lot of stuff that we did with the next thing you eat, our show on Hulu and this idea about food, food waste, sustainability. All of these things are things that I think about more and more, especially with logistics, right? This is unfortunately something Chris has been yelling at me about, yelling for over a decade. Get involved here. Have you not? I have been yelling at you for a long, long, long time about getting involved in some of these sustainability initiatives. But this is a bigger, the thing that you're doing now is bigger than anything I was ever yelling you about. I was like, recycle that can, Dave. Because part of this is, again, people can have disagreements about this is I think this is how one way, not the only way that I can use my whatever the fuck I have to help affect change. And, 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 and it's not something I take lightly. When you say you're excited about doing this, like which part of it 
you know, the and we're going to get in deep here with Lucas here on sort of what it means to be in, in, in venture capital. And I am I'm also a dummy, dummy and I, didn't and know I know anything. nothing. Seriously. But <laughs> are you excited about just sort of learning about the companies, choosing companies to choosing people to support, mentoring people? What do you what 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 is part of the work is exciting to you uh, with all of this? I think all of the above. Number one is these are the conversations I have with you or I have with the team at Momofuku in general about, you know, how many times have we talked about meat and suffering? Mm-hmm. And, and, and no, and Nietzsche and the genealogy of morals <laughs> have, and the birth of tragedy have been brought up so much in the idea of meat eating, Nietzsche would be so pissed. <laughs> Wrong. You do not understand what the fuck I was trying to write about. But no, the, the, number one, I think it, it satiates something I miss on a day-to-day basis of just like wrestling with something, right? An, an idea. And two, it's food-related. Mm-hmm. Three, as I focus my efforts on what is around the corner in food and where I want to spend most of my time, you know, less in the day-to-day aspects of a kitchen, I can do more media. That's not the problem. And it's extremely engaging. But I have the opportunity to spend percentage of my time per week to doing this. It's looking at a company. It's reading something before I go to bed. It's having meetings. This is just like a normal thing that I would be doing anyway, but now in an organized structure. So that's why uh, we're doing it. And I had to make an announcement. Who the fuck was I going to tell them? Uh, who, who was I going to say? Our Discord channel? They're going to make fun of me anyway. Okay. <laughs> And, and it's not just to, to let people know I was doing this. I think there's a, maybe some misinformation or lack of understanding of what a venture capital is. There's a lot of things out there about venture that I didn't understand. I'm still trying to learn. But there's a lot of good things about it, too. And when you think about many of the things you use today, whether it's your phone, the computer I'm looking at, the microphone, almost all of these were started by somebody that believed in somebody trying to do something stupid or impossible. I love backing people that do the dumb. I love it. What better way than to back somebody that's trying to do something that's good for everybody? This is stuff that we've already talked about. We've talked about it on our fucking Hulu show. (laughs) You know, like that's basically what we do. You know, imagine if we did that Hulu show, but we're just investing in these companies, you know? So again, this is an open-ended conversation. By no means do I have any answers to this, but I just want to let people know this is another facet, another layer of what we're doing in, in, in a lot of different ways. Anyway, what do I know? We are joined with Lucas Mann of Acre. So, I mean, Chris, what do you know about venture capital? Would you guys mind answering a question for me that I've always wondered? Um, What is venture capital? (laughs) Right? (laughs) What what is it? I mean, I'm just a layperson and I hear this toss around. I live in the Bay Area. I feel like an idiot. I don't even know what it is. Number one, I've always thought that venture capital means you have to wear a Patagonia sweater vest and wear <laughs> like a bank bag and penny loafers. Right. So it's a style. It's kind of like shabby who, chic or who something. Said, who said you don't? <laughs> but can we agree, Chris Yang, that if you were going to, there are like, there are like, there maybe two different things at the top of my mind that are terrible names for their professions. One is whoever came up with the name celebrity chef is the worst, <laughs> the it's worst combination of words ever. You don't call a rock star. Rock star is an amazing name. Rock star. Right. 
right. you know, a celebrity uh, musician, you know, a celebrity athlete. That is what a, what a, that's not right. even a backhand a compliment. Right. You know, here's celebrity guitarist, yeah. James Hetfield. Bench warmer sounds better than a celebrity athlete. Yeah. Right. This Terrible. feels like the start of a self-loathing episode. Yeah. Well, that's what we do here best. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's why I came Welcome. Here. I mean, venture capitalism sounds terrible, or does it not? I, I think behaviorally, it sounds terrible because you're associating bad behavior with a set of people. When you say bad behavior, you mean rampant capitalism, just being, just let's try to just make as much money as humanly possible and do that type of stuff. I think that's the the uh, the first half of it, and the second half is what you do with it when you have it. <laughs> <laughs> what you do is you get a celebrity chef. To come and cook your shit. <laughs> the bigger the celebrity, the bigger the thing. Jokes aside for a second, I, I honestly, I have some notion of what venture capital is. And a lot of it is based on these kind of connotations that you're talking about. It's people who have a lot of money who want to make more money to go then spend that money in a terrible way. <laughs> and, and like, that's sort of like the venture. We, probably, we can do better than that. I think we yeah. can do better than that. So I think venture capital is actually a really important part of an innovation ecosystem. So hmm. these are firms that take a bet on usually small, early stage companies, startups, founders, ideas that are generally unreasonable. And so they take small or, you know, kind of minority percentages of a company, which is to say non-controlling so that the founder stays in control. And I think that's produced sort of extraordinary results. And I don't mean financial returns, but in terms of funding interesting, unreasonable efforts, it's a really important part of the ecosystem, often associated with tech or technology. But it doesn't have to be. It can be associated with anything at all. So when you say, though, Lucas, like venture capital plays a huge role in innovation, like we're, we're sort of, I, I, I sense like a certain discomfort with the label and, and we're, we're being a little self-effacing about it. I can it, be but explicit what is, about that. I hate what, it. <laughs> you hate it. What is, what do you mean by it's essential to the innovate, like the innovation ecosystem? Like what has come out of it in a positive way? Well, I don't want to judge positive or negative for this particular sake. No, come on. We got to talk shit. Well, look, if you look at these companies, a lot of these tech companies, now I'm not, a, I'm not a person with a background as a venture capitalist for all these years. And so those folks could spin off a list of names that would probably include things like Google, Facebook, Apple Computers, Hewlett Packard, whatever. I'm not a student of that. For me, I'm a student of founders. I believe in unreasonable and radical ideas. And we started a venture firm to get resources to those people. And that's really it. Like, can you imagine getting to spend all day long with brilliant, world-changing people doing totally off-the-wall shit? Like, it's a dream of a thing to do. I think if done under the auspices of what I'll just refer to as a service business. I believe venture capital is a service business. Can you do it in a way, though, that isn't or does not support this well-known, I feel not well-known, this idea that it's full of douchebaggery? Can you do it in a way that's enlightened and full of dignity and, and with moral standards that are sensible to everybody? So I say absolutely yes, but I can only control my own actions. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, inside this place, 100%. 
And I think, frankly, part of the reason I was attracted to doing it at all was that it's, it's a counterpoint to what's out there. And like the whole purpose of venture investing or really sort of anything innovative is asymmetry, right? Something different. Everybody's going one way, you go another. And it makes it easier if you're authentic, if you're honest, if you're transparent, if you take this point of view that it's hospitality, it's service. Yeah, you have assets that you're providing to people, but that doesn't mean you're not on some basis there to support them, right? You're not there to dominate them and show them how great you are. It's not even about you at all. And I think that's a really important nuance. And the best venture investors that I've ever met are just totally in love with founders as a concept. Hmm. And is it just, when you talk about like providing resources, uh, is it sheerly, or I mean, in, in Acres specific, I'll, I'll stop asking about the general VC world and just ask about Acre. When it comes to founders and, and sort of supporting these innovations you're talking about, is it just a financial thing? Is it just a, a check you're cutting? Or like what, what happens if you, if I'm, if I'm a visionary founder, I'm going to pitch you something by the end of this, Lucas, it's coming, I'm going to pitch you my new, my, my new concept. No, but like support me. What is my, what, what, what is, what am I getting into here? I think, I think the fact is that everyone in that game, all of the investors have one thing in common, which is money that makes it sort of a commodity. So what can you offer these people besides you know, your time, services, advice, network, people you know, help. <laughs> and I think that help shows up in a lot of different ways. But if you can build something, and, and I think it's really important to say that the only thing that we invest in are food and agriculture businesses. That's it. And only those that are focused on improving human and environmental health. So because that's the case, we've put together a group of people that really understand how to make those outcomes true. You know, what are those connections? What are, how do you find customers? How do you really help companies achieve, you know, things in a system that needs to be a little bit pragmatic because the food system requires some amount of pragmatism. Food is grown. That takes time. It's shipped. That takes time. It's, you know, whatever. Understanding the nuance of that system was why we started this firm in the first place. We found that that domain expertise was missing. And so that's not the capital. That's really the magic. Hey, is Lucas, can you, can you, can you reemphasize this point is the, the mission of acre and how different that is from many venture capital firms that are out there that may just say they invest in, they have an investment thesis, but they really invest in everything. They're not really guided by any ethical investing principle is what I found that is very different in our sort of dance together was how, sort of razor focused you are on the mission of Acre. And I think that stands it apart from everything else that's out there. And I really do believe that. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I think when we started this firm, we didn't really want to start a venture firm. We wanted to start a firm that was supporting these unbelievable entrepreneurs, improving population health. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean like some healthier granola bar at Whole Foods that costs $7 and has to be refrigerated. It's like populations, food access. How do, you, how do you not make a judgment and help people on a broad scale? And when we started doing that, it was super nerdy. You know, people usually get into this business because they were already in this business and they want more money. For us, I think we were a little bit dangerous because we got in this business and it wasn't like, 
money, 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 money. For us, it was change. And change is pretty rare, especially change that's not sort of um, incremental. You know, like fundamental change in food requires a real understanding of the food system. And so where you can stand something up and say, we're only going to do things that are impactful. If you do one thing that's not impactful, you're sort of ruining the whole thing. And so to be able to stand after these years, it's been, you know, almost seven years now and, and say that we have not compromised is a really big deal when seven years later, you're trying to get into business with people like you, where you, you have to check and see whether what people say they did or not. Seems simple, but I guess it's not. How did you, Dave, how did you come across Acre? Was it through one of the companies or through people? Over the years... I've had the opportunity to work with a bunch of companies. I've been very selective in when I've done that. And whenever I've had some savings, I've put some of that money into it. It hasn't been a lot over the years, but I've made some bets and some of them have paid off in companies that I believed in. So I'll, I'll work with companies that I think that there makes some kind of sort of a framework where we could all work together and I could work with the team. And that's really important to me over the years. I think that there's been a very... Uh, good track record. One of the partners, uh, is he, a, how would you call it? Is it a partner, Bill Hellman, who uh, was a managing director at Greylock, a, a very prominent, very successful historic venture capital firm. We have mutual friends. And uh, he was always saying to trust my gut when I would ask him like, what do, what do you think about this? He said, your track record's pretty good, Dave. You seem to know what you're doing. And I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. And over the years, after taking money and investing, I've learned about this whole different language of investing, although not very well, I'm still learning it. But what I learned is a lot of it is just barrier of entry to understanding. Although they're pretty simple concepts, but at the end of the day, having been in the restaurant industry, I've taken bets on people that I feel are trying to do something cool, something epic that are going to change the actual system, right? Or do something that's innovative in a way that people haven't thought of before. And over, I don't know, 10 plus years, a lot of people have asked me for their insights. I've started a bunch of companies, so on so forth. So I've had, a, I think, uh, by accident, a lot of domain expertise. And there was a lot of talk, like, what do we do with Momofuku? What do we do with a lot of uh, the, 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 the deals that are coming our way? Because a lot of people want to do stuff with Momofuku or myself. But right now, I wanted to learn what better way than to maybe partner up with somebody else. And that was the other sort of end goal was maybe finding somebody that there was uh, similar philosophies where I wouldn't be redundant because I'm not an investor. I have no professional experience doing this, but I do have a lot of experience in, in the consumer end, on the restaurant end, and hospitality, and just sort of having my finger on what might be around the corner in terms of the cultural zeitgeist for our food. So I think a lot of people have asked me to either help out or to join them. I've said no, mainly because I never felt comfortable in doing so. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years ago, as I've gotten to know Lucas a little bit more and I've known him for quite some time and we start hanging out, start, start talking, a lot of this was sort of put in motion by, by someone like Bill to just talk to somebody. And that's how a lot of things happen out. You just talk. Lucas and I wound up learning a lot about each other. And, and it just happened. I don't even know how it happened. This is all the more important to me now, because as we all know, we're, we're all parents and I care more about what's going to happen around 2050, which is you know talked about a lot in, in sort of food circles as the moment, a lot of potentially bad shit might happen. So it's not, it, it, it's not just 
bullshit altruism. It's finding somebody that has the principle that I could actually be like, okay, we can have active debates. And that's one of the things that I've been missing quite a bit. And I've been rambling on and on. But when I was talking to Lucas about this, Lucas was like, you have to be ready to be told, fuck you. (laughs) Like, Hmm. you're not going to find yourself in a position where everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, great idea, Dave. That's just never going to happen. You're going to have to like fight for your position. And eventually be told no is that going to be okay and i i love that and i wanted to learn about all these things like i know nothing but because i know nothing this is infinitely fascinating to me because this all ends up in the same shit we talk about on this podcast how we eat whether you realize it or not a lot of these seeds got planted in these kinds of conversations about who's going to get supported right and i think what i would like to do is give people the chance from my perspective that should be supported that may not have had the chance before. So there's my fucking spiel. No, so so I mean, no, no. I think that's <laughs> that's hugely helpful for me. Like who's been on the periphery of this stuff. But okay, let's get down to brass tacks here for the listener, Lucas. Like, talk to me about a couple of some of the some of the companies and projects that we're we're talking around here. Like, what what are we talking about here when you're talking about agricultural businesses, the future of food, sort of like purpose driven investing? Who are we talking about? So I think there's a couple ways that you can approach this. Right, you can look at it as better for you consumer packaged goods, right? The shit that you go in the grocery store and you're like, what even is that? And I can tell it's better for me because the package is nice and it's an Erewhon or whatever, but that's, that's not something we're interested in. For us, it's the systems that make the future possible. So genetics, how do data systems influence growing? Uh, what are ways to improve food safety system-wide, fundamentally, you know? And Look, a lot of people in our business are, are like a lot of the work that we do is crossed over with biotechnology or life sciences or human therapeutics, right? Like the most misused, overused term is food as medicine, right? A granola bar is not food as medicine. And like a new Wait, it's, ultra- it's not, it's, it's not, it's got uh, uh, acai uh, seeds in it. It's not, it's just, yeah, what food. the hell has my doctor been telling me yeah. all these years? Blueberries are full of uh, antioxidants. You mean it's not medicine? What are you talking about? It's He's like, take two of these nature's Valley bars yeah. and just call me in the morning. With the white chocolate chips in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know you got the good ones. It's those dried cranberries that make you healthy though. That's the healthy shit. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, you know, you, you look at this and, and you, and you take this approach and say, look, some of the stuff we're going to do is deeply scientific. Some of it's data-driven. You know, we're going to work on a totally multidisciplinary basis and rely on people's experience. Now, and this is not exactly what you asked me, Chris, but let's go back to Dave for a second, right? Like, what is venture capital? Dave's support and involvement in companies like Impossible and Cometeer and whatever else it is that you guys have done, that's venture capital. And so when you look at it and you reframe what it is, what you're really doing is supporting a totally audacious, unreasonable idea. And that's a great way to spend time. And, it, and, and what a life, right? Because mostly those people are extraordinary. They're also stubborn assholes. And I think <laughs> I can relate to that. I, I think that's one of well, my secrets because I am one and I know how to talk to these stubborn Fucking assholes. Let's just call a spade a spade. All you fucking founders out there. That's just a code word. You're just a stubborn asshole. Let's just be honest. <laughs> Straight from the celebrity show. <laughs> and people say to me all the time, like, why would you work with a celebrity chef? Just kidding. Of course. They don't say that. <laughs> no, but when, 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 when they're like, wait, but Dave, like David Chang, like David Chang, like Dave Chang, David Chang show. 
I'm like, yeah, yeah. Here's the thing about that. This isn't like, oh, you know, Dave's a restaurateur. He's a chef. He's a writer. He's a TV host. He's a producer. It's actually, for me, sort of all of that, but really none of it. Because what Dave is, is a founder and an entrepreneur who, as far as I can tell, has built a really interesting, multifaceted, and quite large business in a business where almost no one does that. And so that's asymmetry. That's why Dave. And so when you get into that, you realize like, this guy can talk to people who are building a business, whether that's in computational biology, whatever that is, or if it's in you know alternative protein, and sit there and say, look, I get some of these challenges and I get some of these issues that you're having and staffing and people, and you think about it and how do you build? And as a founder, how do you keep your vision intact? Like all of these things that, that Dave's wrestled with for, was it's been like what, 40 years? Yeah, it feels like it. <laughs> that's super powerful because that's a learned experience. You know, a lot of people in our industry go to the Harvard Business School or they work at one of the consulting firms and those are very smart people. And, and, and in a lot of cases, very experienced. I don't want to pigeonhole everyone. But like, there are two people on this call because Chris, I don't know what you did, but Dave studied religion, I think, in college. Yep. So did I. <laughs> I got my degree in Tibetan Buddhism from UC Santa Barbara and I never went to business school because also, why? That's my perspective, right? It's like, it's a counterpoint. But if you take the life experience of Dave or me or some of these amazing people that work at the firm, like, you know, Sam Cass, one of my partners here, he ran food policy in the Obama administration. I mean, that's like war with the lobbyists, you know, on behalf of the children. He ran Michelle Obama's Let's Move campaign for childhood obesity. Like, what an experience, uh, you know, the things that he's seen. So for me, I'm more interested in leveraging that than finding somebody who's a 20-year veteran of venture capital that knows how things work. I want to do things the way that we want to do them because we're looking at companies that are inside a system, you know, that contains some boundaries that are immovable. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. 
to find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. So, how, okay, talk to me about this process then. How does, how does it work, you know, if you're, if you're sort of, you studied Tibetan Buddhism at UCSB <laughs> and Dave studied religion and Dave has, you know, domain expertise in, in restaurants, but, you know, some of these companies that you're investing in, that you're, you're supporting, you're talking about are, you know, I assume doing things in food technology genetics that are outside of your expertise, outside of Sam's expertise. Like, how do you, how do you look at a company who says to you, we are going to change the food system because we are going to do X, Y, or Z thing. How do you look at that from an, as an investor standpoint? How do you look at it with, you know, how do you investigate claims of sustainability or, you know, a marketplace? Like how, how do you, how do you do that? <laughs> it's a, it's a great question. And there's going to be a whole bunch of investors. If they listen to this, whose eyes are going to snap off rolling in their heads during this part of the conversation. You think investors listen to this show? Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> They did until the park before about, you know, the Patagonia vest, the douchebaggery. Yeah. And if you're still here, like self-respect is helpful. (laughs) You know, we don't often take what they call benchtop science risks. That's to say something like totally unproven, very new, unless we have partners that really understand. So we have partners at, you know, fancy schools and labs. We work with MIT and we work at Harvard and we work in these kinds of places, UC Davis for agriculture, where there's tons of expertise. And we've been around that space, you know, for now, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. So there is some pattern recognition in that regard. Uh, We have other investors that we work with that are technical for us, uh, you know, as a partner where we come in as the food or agriculture partner, those people come in as kind of a life sciences or technical partner, but, but that's all kind of the standard answer. I think for us, the way that I look at it, we look at a company and we think about what they could be like with us with Dave, with Sam, with Melissa, with Alec, with our people that work here and all of the combined experiences that we have. Is most of this space that you guys are working in the future of food? Is it, is it sort of informed by impending disaster? Is most of the, are most of the things we're talking about things that are going to help us stave off disaster or fix problems that are already here? Well, Chris, it's funny you bring this up. You know, since since I've been helping out and participating on all these calls, right? This is exactly the kind of conversation that takes place on these <laughs> meetings. <laughs> They're very academic and theoretical, but they actually, I think, build out the framework on on on, on how you want to move forward on things. And there are some companies that, if you take a bet on, you're really betting on a dystopian future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's just no way around it. You're, you're believing <laughs> in something that is going to be you know, almost a catastrophic outcome. And, and you have to talk about these things. And, and I love having these kinds of conversations about that. And I don't know if it's right or wrong, but maybe it is a right conversation if you think that this is actually going to alleviate a potential dystopian future uh, or some kind of outcome. So I don't know if that's necessarily the only thing, you know, in terms of what gets discussed, because I think between that kind of company there's plenty of others. And what has been fascinating to me is I look at almost everything in this either or proposition, right? It's, it's an all or nothing scenario. But I think what Lucas has showed me and the whole team at Acre is that there's a lot of paths in between sort of, sort of like the beginning and the end. And mm-hmm. like for, for uh, investing in food security and food waste, it's nothing crossed my mind because I know nothing about investing in agriculture or when I think about food tech, it's some of the stuff that we talked about in, on the Hulu show. We never once talked about preserving food or changing logistics. That wasn't sexy, right? Mm-hmm. When, if we talked about 
two episodes about food logistics. You know, not not, not going to go over so well with the Disney execs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the reality is, Lucas could talk your whole head off and the whole team at Acre about food logistics and how if you go down the rabbit hole, there's a company that Lucas could speak more about, like Mori, that does absolutely mind-bending crazy shit if you actually hear it out. You're like, oh. And when you start to go down this rabbit hole, you you start to see, oh, wait, this may not be as sexy as 3D printed food or some bullshit like that, but it's going to have dramatic impact on what you eat and what food you buy at the grocery store and how it gets delivered to your restaurant, so on and so forth. So, you know, like Maury, Lucas can talk a little bit. And I think it's an important thing. This is the kind of conversations that I like to have because you're like, oh, shit, whether you realize it or not, this has the potential to change the way you eat. And you will not even know anything about it. There, there is this kind of twisted thing, which is that the more existential our problems get as a world, the better the entrepreneurs and the more opportunities we have, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, people recognize that things are changing. Climate change is real. It's just not really debatable, you know, in, 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 if you just sort of look at the evidence. And so what does that mean for people? When we first started in this business, there were lots of great startups and lots of great people. But now there's exponentially more startups and even better people that were doing other things before. And it's, it gives me a lot of hope because we spend a lot of time in this kind of like easy to be in despair mode of how fucked up everything is. But there are amazing people doing amazing shit. And there's something to that. Like Maury's a great example. Maury is this company that's taking silk protein from cocoons you know, silk farms are, there's lots of silk farms all over the world. A lot of that silk is used for textiles. These guys take the broken versions of the cocoons, the ones that others don't want, so effectively a waste stream, and they isolate a protein that's in there. And you remember, cocoons are built for metamorphosis for the caterpillar, right? And so they can take that and put a barrier on the food using the silk protein. That could be kale in a field. It could be uh, a piece of pork, whatever. And it puts a barrier on the food and increases the shelf life, the amount of time okay. before no, that thing those, gets I thought it was a barrier bad. to prevent me from, from eating it, from overeating. It, it, you could probably, I don't think there is a barrier that can prevent you from eating it. <laughs> it's a diet tool. Just wrap all your, wrap all your hamburgers in a silk blanket. You can't eat them. No, that's so it's, it's to prevent it's food waste. It's to prevent food waste. If you look at it in the obvious way, and I'm, I don't mean that to be like, jerk. sorry. That's just, <laughs> that was awful. Let's start that over. Let's just God start that completely over. Leave that in. Leave that in. That was the best part of the podcast. If you're a simpleton. <laughs> if you were a venture capitalist, you'd understand, dummy. <laughs> okay, what enlighten, enlighten In you. the way that most of us, including myself, see it. So, so that, that's the obvious way, right? And, and you can sort of say, okay, well, look, you can then have something on the shelf for twice as long uh, with no loss in quality or nutrition, importantly. You can have less food waste because you can move more stuff further distances, but you could also coat stuff before it gets processed. And an example of that would be, you could coat things that go into those granola bars, right? You could coat material, fruit material before it gets processed into some kind of a juice or what have you. You could do cereals with low sugar, like things where, where sugar is used as a preservative you could remove that sugar from the supply chain. You could remove plastic from the supply chain, right? Because maybe you wouldn't need as much plastic if packages were improved because you can use this for packaging. So there's all these upstream things that, that improve 
you know, so many facets of the food system. And so when you look at it that way, you realize like, first of all, it's extraordinary that the food gets on the shelves. The amount of technology involved in that is just extraordinary on the scale that it does. And so when you think about how to continue that, you know, these problems, which aren't as sexy to be sure as 3D printed fish, you know, that was grown in like a car trunk or something. It's just, it doesn't have to be that, you know, like these are existential problems and I don't want to overstate the nature of what we're doing, but this is about the people that are solving these problems and us supporting them. And, and from my perspective, Chris, it's, it's, it, you know that this is the stuff that I like to think about. Um, we talk about this stuff and now it's just more actionable. When I first came across more, I was like, whatever, that's weird. That's literally what came through my mind. Silkworm. Okay, <laughs> whatever. And then the further I again learned about it, my, my, my head sort of imploded because I couldn't understand the repercussions it could potentially have. And more importantly, the kinds of conversations we should be having with one another when you talk about sustainability, greenhouse gases, blah, 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 blah. All of this idea of sustainability, you need to have some kind of action. I don't know if this is the only thing or maybe it's one of the things, but just the impact of increasing longevity of, say, a head of lettuce for two, week, two more weeks, three more weeks. That's crazy when you start thinking about the shipping, the, the, the kinds of impact it can have just shipping on the world today. And what I like to think about is the conversations you might have to have with a slow food kind of person, right? Um, because this fundamentally changes everything in a lot of different ways. And it comes from something as humble as the, you know, the refuse of silk farming. It's crazy to me. And I love that shit. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so I mean, that, you brought an interesting thing up, though, Chang, when you talk about like the slow feed, slow food people. And I think like what you're talking about, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You're sort of talking about people who uh, have maybe the best of intentions, right? We want a better food system. We want better food for people. But the methodology, whether it's slow food or, you know, staunch anti-GMO activists or whatever it is, have like this deeply impractical and maybe inaccessible <laughs> mantra, right? Like slow food, like slow food means is not like not every, that's a luxury. Slow right? food, the way I joke about it, slow food means for the equivalent, the parallel is you smoke American cigarettes. <laughs> you smoke American spirit cigarettes. That's what to me, the slow food movement is. <laughs> right. Right. You do it. You do something, but you do it in an ethical way. Mm-hmm. All right. Good for you. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> ethical smokes. <laughs> Ethical cigarette smoking. Ethical cigarettes. That's the <laughs> that next makes, that makes, project. Ap- that just makes perfect sense. <laughs> but is there like, is there some, I mean, is there, is. I love the slow food movement, but it's like impractical. It's like, really? Then don't smoke fucking cigarettes. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's just not very useful. It's not useful. That's what I mean. I, what I like about, and people that listen to this podcast know that I'll talk about this a lot. American pragmatism as a philosophy is not just in the academic setting. It's real world collecting data and analyzing it every facet to see if it's still relevant, if it's still truthful. And that's what a lot of the things that happen in Acre, I think not just Acre, I think anybody that does anything good and meaningful in this world, that's what I like to be associated with. Mm-hmm. That's what slow food to me has not done. <laughs> Started off with a good idea is now potentially dangerous. There, uh-huh. I said it. Uh-huh. So I mean, I'm still I trying guess- to figure out the cigarette thing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you smoked American spirits because the pack was cool. No, there's no, uh, there's no uh, chemicals. There's no nothing. It's pure. It's like, okay. It's good for you. It's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be right back. <laughs> I mean, does that part, I, I guess my question, Lucas, is like, does that 
aspect of it does the sort of and I don't even know how powerful of a an argument or a movement this is that that sort of like I don't want to call it anti-science but you know when you talk about sort of like any any form of genetic science gen- genetic modification whatever you you like certain people are going to just be rubbed the wrong way like yes. do you have a is is acre driven sort of by like innovation first or is there like something else that says like well we don't like x y or z thing this goes a little bit back to what Dave was saying about dystopian future. I mean, you know, we have sort of generally agreed. I have two young kids. It's part of the reason Dave and I bonded. I mean, we both were like, I don't even remember the first few years of knowing each other. <laughs> the future that we want for our families, we can make choices that are in line with the values that we see in the in the world in the future. And it's you know, you bring up genetics. This is like one of the hottest button issues. So. Very few people, I think, know the difference between genetic modification, GMO, and gene editing. So we're invested in gene editing companies. We would not do what they call transgenic genetic modification, which is to say you take something from a different species and put it into a different species. Right. Your corn is now 50% mouse. Yes. And ten, yeah, octopus and whatever else, <laughs> which incidentally does not happen. But, but regardless, like the, I can get why people would get upset about that. But if you walked in like sort of some random I was going to no pitch this new company based on the island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> and I, now I know I'm not going to do that next week. Don't worry about the it. The food transports itself <laughs> in these little <laughs> tiny pieces. Like, imagine a piece of pork with the skin of a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think it's important to unpack these issues in a way that's pragmatic and not judgmental. And keep in mind that not everybody lives in Santa Monica or, you know, the West Village and understand that we're aiming at populations. And so for us, you know, how do you think about genetics? If what you're talking about is, you know, reducing synthetic chemicals and fertilizers, and what does that mean for the water table and the topsoil and all these things? You have to think about second and third or third order implications, issues, you know, and it's, it's pretty fraught, but it's a fascinating conversation. So for us, if you can, if you can get involved in a, in a natural process of a plant, you know, people get, I mean, look, you got married and had children. Those children are the progeny is in some way, the result of who you were. That's selective breeding. You selectively bred your children by choosing a partner with certain attributes that you liked. Right. Any woman who would have me. (laughs) And and I'm happy that that happened for you. So that's, I feel so bad for our wives because they're uh, <laughs> good luck, Lucas. Good luck, Lucas. What do you mean, our wives? I didn't say one thing about my wife. Just to be clear, except that she's amazing, beautiful, and I selected her. Yes, <laughs> totally twisted. You know, like once people started to get plants to stand up in rows so that we could harvest it, we were on some basis editing them and selecting them for their performance. So, like, how do you think about that on a historical basis? Right? You read those stories civilization started when we were able to tell plants to stand up a certain way and they were mine and those were yours. I mean, the roots of this go back and it's a fascinating conversation as you think about how that, how you approach today's modern world, or you look at alternative protein is a great one, right? Like we have this company called Meaty, which is a a mycelium based alternative protein. So mycelium, Dave, I think you call it mushroom roots. Yep. So it's, you know, a single ingredient creating effectively a chicken breast or a beef steak or whatever it is with very similar textural properties, but way better nutrition and way better carbon footprint, but it's brewed like beer. So it's, it's sort of easily understood. It's inexpensive to produce. It's extraordinarily 
you know, performative taste-wise and functionally and otherwise. And so you don't have to make these compromises where you're eating this like synthetically made false flag nutrition, chemically processed fake meat shit. And I think that's really interesting. Like, like those kinds of innovations, how do you spin that narrative? How do you tell that story? That's also why Dave, right? Like, how do you, how do you bring these things forward in a way that people can understand? And it doesn't just have to be the alternative proteins, but, but getting Dave to start thinking about the genetics and the food safety and the impacts of these things. And, and Chris, hopefully you and Major Dome and everybody, like telling that story the right way is part of how we're going to improve life on this planet. Mm-hmm. So let me return to this original question of, of venture capital, because I think that there's like another side of this when, when it comes to sort of like purpose driven innovation. And, you know, like I, I in, the, in, in my <laughs> spare time that I used to have, you know, started a nonprofit, like climate change nonprofit. But like the thing you bump up against always in the sort of nonprofit route <laughs> is that when it's a nonprofit effort, you're always just sort of dependent upon the benevolence of people, the sort of self-driven initiative to just do better to, for this, for this world. So when it comes to, you know, a charitable endeavor versus the companies you're talking about, I have, I came to this conclusion and you tell me if I'm wrong, that the thing has to make money. Like it doesn't matter how how dire the problem is. Like at the end of the day, if the innovation and the product isn't something people want, you'll have no uptake and you can't make a difference unless the thing can stand on its own legs. Is that what we're sort of talking about here? 100%. Completely astute. I mean, we sometimes joke that sustainability is like a gift with purchase. I mean, you have to provide that. If it, even if it's core, if it's cellular to you, you have to impact your customer's bottom lines. You have to make money for people. You have to make product for people, something that they want that improves their experience, improves their cost, whatever it might be. For us, 100% of those things fall into the like rubric of sustainability or green or impact or whatever word du jour people are using to make themselves appear non-greenwashing. But we have tons of greenwashing going on, right? And that's why people retreat to grant making and nonprofit side. I firmly believe that we can make no compromises on our sustainability, on our impact focus, and still bring in returns that investors expect against all venture funds, not just food and ag funds or just impact funds. You have to judge yourself against the best out there. And I think you can do that and make no compromises. And and I think we're proving that. So I agree with you completely. And I think just more progress gets made. There's way more dollars available on the private side. That's the thing. And like you, when Dave talks about sort of the impracticality of things like slow food, like I'm, I'm, I'm like a impractical dreamer in those ways too. But like what gets me and what, what Dave ultimately like kind of like working with so closely with Dave for so long, what kind of dawned on me is like, there's just this like epic disappointment with that impracticality. Like I can want everybody to smoke American spirits. Like I can want it with all my heart and soul. I can even buy some packs for people if I want them to smoke this shit. Like I'll do all of that. But like I can't make it happen, and like that that disappointment is like what really makes it hard, and then like makes makes you think like, okay, living with my head in the clouds is not going to ultimately get anybody where we want to get. Well, this is a good segue to our sponsor, American Spirits. <laughs> smoke if you're going to smoke, smoke healthy. 
Thanks, Dave. Brought to you by Slow Food America. Unbelievable, man. So, <laughs> Lucas, like, what else? What else are you when when you when you're when you're when you're thinking about your kids? What are the issues, just on a personal level, not even just from like the companies you're looking at? Like, what are the things that you are most concerned with? What what sort of motivates you in terms of what you're looking at for innovation in the future? I think we live in an incredibly processed society, right? One disconnected from food. If you look at, at, at the stuff in your pantry, not your pantry, but someone's pantry, how much of that is processed? You know, how disconnected are we from things that are fresh? Like how fresh is that thing that you think is fresh? Not everybody can go to farmer's markets or live that life, right? Like not everybody has access to food or dollars to access food in the way that we would quote, like them to. Maybe you call that slow food. But that concerns me. And it concerns me not just for my family, but for all families. So I look at my kids and the things that they get accustomed to taste-wise, like what's that training? In some ways, you're going up against these sugar industrial complexes. And you know these are the best marketing organizations in the world, Coca-Cola, these kinds of things. You know, One of my co-founders here was the president of Coca-Cola. I mean, he knows. And I think it's probably dangerous to talk about it on some basis because these are very powerful companies. You know, and, and, and what does that mean for our kids? So, so I worry about that. And because I spend a lot of time in agriculture and spend a lot of time in areas that grow corn and soybeans and, and things like that in this country, you know, our agricultural system is a robust and complex system that I think doesn't get enough credit for how entrepreneurial and innovative producers are. They just are, right? These are mostly family businesses. They're multi-generational it's a hard as hell thing to do. And these people do it. And they're sort of heroic in my perspective from being on farm all the time with these guys. You know, how do you connect those dots? How do you make a better future for them who in turn makes a better future for us? Can we help them grow something that's better for the climate, for us, for our families? How do we think about the whole system? Not just sort of sit here in our perch and say, you should do this or don't eat that or how dare you grow this or use that thing. You know, it, it shows just a, a naivete about the system. So how do we tell that story so we understand that the whole thing is, you know, a system and these are cycles and how do we, how do we improve that? Because you have to improve all parts, I think, for, for things to improve. Jake, do you feel, you know, having spent more time with Lucas and Acre and and sort of being exposed to some of these things that I mean I mean like I don't know about like you know media is new to me Maury is new to me like I, I've heard about them a little bit but like when you see the innovation does it make you more hopeful <laughs> for 2050? Um, I don't know. I not only said that like I don't know. It's not hopeful. This needs to happen at a larger level. Hmm. You know what I mean? Then then I know it's. I'll be more hopeful when these conversations that we're having, not even about investing, right? It's about the meaning of certain things, the, the implications of certain things, the, the, the ethics of a certain invention, so on and so forth. Then I will be more hopeful when it's more common talk. It's more plain speak. It's not reserved for just like this, because I feel that's the change that's going to need to happen. And most importantly, you know, this is the, 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 the way for change to happen is to actually invest in the people that are going to make the change where it will become mainstream. It will become top of mind. So in that regard, yes, it's the people that are stubborn enough. And I say that lovingly to actually believe in something that I don't maybe believe in quite yet. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like 
that's what you want to be part of. And I want to be able to use all my resources to help that vision come to fruition. Um, so yeah, it's, it's more about learning. Like Lucas knows infinitely more about agriculture in America than I do. Cause it just is another language to me. But the more I understand it, the more I'm like, okay, before you get again to the future crazy tech, there's a lot of low hanging fruit that may not be sexy, that may not have the platform to talk about that other companies might have, but these are people that do need resources and they're worth the investment to, to actually believe in them. So, you know, I, I think more than anything, I, I want to get to that point. And I think that we need more people other than Lucas or Aker to actually help move this whole conversation along. Mm-hmm. Did what I just say make any sense to you? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I mean, Lucas, is that is it like what I'm hearing to some degree? And tell me if like if this is right or not. Like, it feels a little bit like technology or innovation or good ideas are not what's stopping us. <laughs> it's sort of uptake and people and, and these things being implemented. Is that sort of where we are when when you look at the the overall landscape of the future? Yeah, I, look, I think I think that's right. And, and look, you're making inroads with Dave, who's who's a career cynic, right? And so so that, like, of course, he's not going to say hopefulness, but I like what I heard from him now actually was quite hopeful relative to his general cynicism and and you know kind of blatant disregard for happiness. You know, as you think about, <laughs> you, you have to stare at his. Cyn- you have to stare at his cynicism long enough, and I'm you, fu- you see it as optimism. I'm a so fucking I'm optimist, man. It took me ten plus years to look at looking at this guy's cynicism to realize this motherfucker is an optimist. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> and look, I think that's one of the things that Dave and I saw in each other was like brutal cynicism generally. But but look, I mean, we're spe- we're spending our time and lives and efforts trying to create positive change on small and large scales, and so. To your question, I think the answer is that, that yes, it is uptake, but the reality of that is also the reality of the food system and the agriculture system, right? Like investors in tech like to say, go fast, break things, rapid prototyping, these kinds of things. But the food system doesn't work like that. And this is kind of the misnomer for a lot of investors. There's way more investors in food and agriculture now than there were some years ago. And the numbers are like exponentially more. And I think... That's good and bad. It's good because lots of new companies are getting funded. It's bad because I think they misunderstand where the value is. So you have to understand that food is made a certain way and shipped a certain way and produced a certain way. And changing that is, is, a, is, is a gargantuan lift. I don't even know how to describe it. I don't want to say nah, it's impossible. I'm going to disrupt all that, Lucas. No problem. You are. Go fast break things <laughs> with that silk and pork. <laughs> I think, you know, you just got to understand the system find its stress points, chip away at it, and never stop. And these people, to Dave's point, the reason I'm so addicted to this is their willfulness is extraordinary in the face of absolute challenge. But that's true for any entrepreneur, right? Going into any difficult space. Like, I think, I mean, think about Dave when he was cooking versus now and all of these different facets, you know, that he's come to build in this kind of empire that he that just takes will more than anything else. And, and I think it's important to be able to identify who has that and who doesn't. I mean, I, I love just talking to these people because I'm looking for that crazy, yeah. right? It's no different when I talk to a, a chef that's just starting out or a cook that, you know, I'm looking for somebody that believes they can make the impossible happen because it's these kinds of individuals, regardless of your industry, that again, like the odds probably are stacked against them, but you want to 
you want to see them come to fruition. You want to know what they believe in. So this is no different than me helping out anybody else. You know, it's just that like, I don't like investing in other people's restaurants. This is (laughs) (laughs) too close to to home. (laughs) This is to me, if this makes any sense, this is no different than when we come up with a dish or come up with a concept at a restaurant. Why has someone not done this? Why has someone not put vertical spit cooking as a restaurant idea. Oh, why? Because X, Y, and Z. Oh, that's all stupid as shit. Why nobody's ever done that. Let's just give it a shot. So for me, it doesn't always even have to be aligned with what Acre is doing. It's just what I like to do is, oh, that's a great idea. Why isn't someone using it? Because someone thinks it's garbage or someone thinks this person thinks this way. To me, I just, I, I, I just have to be able to like embrace these things. So I'm going to pester the shit out of Aker, Lucas, and everybody, because they're going to be definitely ideas that I want to back that they're going to say, I know this. Well, that's just not what we do, Dave. <laughs> we don't invest in these things. And I'm okay with that, you know? Yeah. That is, that is going to be the interesting thing, right, Chris? I mean, thinking about this with Dave, I mean, I did call him and say, hey, what happens when somebody says no? Well, because it's just not something we're going to do. And, and you know, Super, and he seems to be embracing that. I mean, nobody said no yet because we haven't really sort of made any decisions yet, but that's just getting started now. But, but there's this natural curiosity. And, and I think people that are really good at this really have a very strong perspective of what the future holds. And I think Dave's not short on perspective uh, or the uh, you know, gumption <laughs> to stand up and say it. So, so yeah, I, th- I, think, I think it's going to be fascinating and I think this idea of people that come from different walks of life, different experiences, having a perspective on something where they're not quote unquote expert is ideal. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just from the outside, from my perspective, it's like the, the idea that there is food oriented VC as a starter is exciting to me. It's, you know, like food is always like, it's not tech, it's not whatever, it's not this sexy thing. It's logistics of how you get food from one place to another. Like the idea that somebody is investing in this is exciting. The other that it's like, Acre is driven, is like this purpose or mission driven or, or, or you know, has has these ideals around sustainability and, and, and population health and all of this stuff is like a fantasy to me. Like is Acre an anomaly in that sense? Are there other people, people doing this kind of stuff? I know that like, John Doerr, who Dave talked about, just started a $1 billion <laughs> climate school at Stanford. So there's him. But like, are other people doing this? A lot uh, of people. What he, what he did is just <laughs> extraordinary. The John Doerr thing at Stanford is just extraordinary yeah, for climate unreal. change. Yeah, look, I, th- I think there's a lot of people doing this. Are there a lot of people doing it well? I don't know. Time's going to tell, right? It's not, it's not for me to judge. I think one of the things that's nice about investing is that, that the results are empirical, right? You either did well or you didn't, not maybe. Uh, it, it's, it's results oriented business. And so I think those that really understand the system will do better to be sure. What I can be sure of is that, and I'm saying this, we have lots of friends that are also investors in the space. What I can be sure of is our own actions and those will be authentic. Those will be in the boundaries, uh, of the things that we believe in. I happen to think we're the best at this, but of course I do. Uh, but but I'm I'm super hopeful because there's so many people working on these problems and and the, you know the, a lot of these are related climate technologies carbon all these things that you read about they're all sort of one and the same on some basis and it's energizing hopeful in some way that there's all of this innovation happening and all this tech uh, you know kind of being stood up 
it's important for all of us, whether we like it or not. I wish we'd come up with a different word, words than venture capital, but, but it's, it's, it's just important to our, our survival as a species, not to be like super broad and scary about it, but I think it plays a part. Oh, by the way, we're going to have, a, I, I know that people are going to ask for information because I already get a bunch of inbounds, but one of the people we had on this podcast uh, several months ago was the author Safi Pakal, who had the name Loon Shots as his great book. And in it, it was testing hypotheses, right? If you have an idea, test it. It's something we've tried to really embrace on this podcast, in the industry at whole, at large. And I know a lot of people out there have an idea or they've, they have a company. And this isn't just restaurant. It could be fucking any idea that you're pursuing. And this is why I wanted to do this is to get one step closer to actually helping people get their idea to the masses. If could be anything, where do people send their ideas to Lucas? Yeah, it's a good question. So the best place for us, just so we can manage it on any sort of appropriate basis is on the website, which is acre.vc, A-C-R-E dot V-C. That's the best place. And what, and what, what, what do they send? What, what should they do? If they have an idea, they don't even have a company. Do they just send an idea or do they have to have a company? What, what happens here? So we, we only invest in companies. Rarely have we uh, invested in something that was yet to become a company. It's just a harder thing to do. It's not really what we do. Uh, there are venture capitalists that invest in things like that. They call them pre-seed or seed investments. We tend to be a slightly later investor, so call that a Series A investor. So we're not best for just an idea, but once there's a company and they're doing something and they, they have that idea and they've stood it up on some basis, that's the right time for us because our group can be very accelerative of those ideas. We have a network that understands the system, but also understands how to get traction and customers and, and get everything going. Um, and so we're better when there's something that already exists and has a little bit of momentum to it. We can make that bigger. And can you give an example um, of sort of what not to do or to give people some better frame of reference? If I'm, say, um, a restaurant, I have like four or five restaurants and I'm looking for you to potentially invest money in us. Is that what you do? So that, that's, that's not what we do. We don't invest in restaurants. Would we invest in, in, a, in, in restaurants? I mean, what, what kind of restaurant, what kind of restaurant would you potentially invest in? Well, you know, people like us invested in Sweetgreen, that kind of a thing where it's a platform, it's a large idea. Uh, it improves health. We will never compromise on the improves health, improves environment principles. So that's for us, the first check. And then from there, it has to be a good business. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I'm not here to judge everybody that's listening's business or their idea. Uh, but yes, I, I, got, know, I it, got, I got, I got an, Oh my God. I just saw my email. I got one inbound and it's from somebody <laughs> that lives in Southern California. That is a big fan of the tobacco industry. And he thinks that they're, could potentially be a breakthrough on the healthy kind of cigarette. Is that something you might invest in? Hundred percent. You might be interested. Yeah. We're, the, I'm, we're huge on cigarettes, human health, and agriculture. Those are the kind of the three main Only things we look at. Fi filterless cigarettes. <laughs> You're mostly in the cigarette space. Yeah, I love. I love and this I thing have in called my life, chewing never tobacco. Never talked about cigarettes. 
healthy yeah. chewing tobacco. <laughs> it's a lot of cigarette talk. So, so that just gives somebody a, an idea of the universe that Acre is willing to invest in. Just for the record, they said yes to a healthy cigarette. So if you're in that umbrella, send your ideas to Acre. No restaurants, definitely cigarettes. <laughs> no, no bullshit. Um, no, I, I'm excited. I, 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 I hope that people listening to this with a genuine idea that they've been trying to get out there and they started a company and they're, 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 they're in it. They're, they're fully committed to it. Send us their ideas because I really believe in this team. Again, I've been looking at this from afar for a long time. I'm not joining this just because I'm like, oh, and I'm also not joining this because it's all I do. Lucas and the team know very well I'm fully committed to other things, but I've carved out perfect amount of time to allow this to happen. So I am invested in this just like I am in anything else that I'm part of. But I, I'm excited to see and to read all of these different companies that come through. And uh, I will be, you know, helping this team out. So I, I'm looking forward to all the ideas and the companies that come through Acre.vc. Well, that was a conversation with Lucas Mann. Go check out Acre.vc. Again, all jokes aside, it's not about tobacco. It's not about restaurants per se, but if you have an idea, you're, you have a company and you're looking to get funding and you have an idea and a company that can sort of align with a lot of things we spoke about in terms of sustainability and such, send, send the team at acre.vc an email. Uh, this is a conversation we're going to probably continue with the team at Acre with Lucas and, and get a little bit deeper dive, not in any just companies that Acre's invested in, but the space in general, because it is my belief that we talked about that we need to have a larger conversation about these topics in general, just day-to-day conversation to make this much more accessible. Anyway, give us five stars uh, and send in your ideas. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.